Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Ariel. Welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Hey, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm great. It's good to catch up with you, man. So uh, last year, we were running a group together, a men's group, and doing some awesome things and have loads of meetings. And at one point, I was like, you have an incredible story. Why the hell have I never invited you on the podcast? And I think I like instantly apologized. You're like, that's cool. I didn't even think about it. But here we are. So thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Very excited to be here and appreciate your invitation to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as the audience can hear, you're not from Philadelphia like I am. I am not. No, <laughs> no a little further away. So why don't you give us a little bit of context? Tell us uh, who you are, what you do for a living, and give us what's one thing that most people don't know about you that's maybe a little odd or bizarre. Well, I, my name is Ariel Goldenberg. I was born and raised in Israel. Uh, I am a health and wellness coach. I work, I work most, mostly with men around the age of 40 and 50 and up. Um, and uh, what people don't know about me, I mean, right now they don't know anything about me. So um, I, don't know I don't know really where to start. I immigrated here uh, about 17 years ago with my wife. So uh, that was a very, uh, very, one of the most dramatic events of my life. Absolutely. Traveling with your wife? Yeah, at the time she wasn't my, yeah, yeah, well, yes, that too, that too, but, but I, didn't mean, I didn't mean this, but at the time she wasn't my wife. We were dating only for two years when we, were, when we made the move here. She was very young and I was not as young, but still young, so uh, it, was, it was quite an adventure. So let's just kind of get straight to it then. Going from, uh, from Israel to the U.S., Oh, you weren't like a baby where some people are like, look, my parents just picked me up and we magically got over here and I had no say in it. It sounds like you had at least some say in that. But why don't you give us a little bit of context? Walk us through the story of like, what did that look like to be able to get here? And you're really how how you manage your mindset through that. Yes, I wasn't a baby. I was actually 31. I had a pretty, uh, you know, established whole life back in Israel. I was working as a, as a cook and a chef for, for about eight, nine years, you know, at the time. Uh, and then I met my wife back then, my girlfriend, and it was right at the moment when things started to be very difficult in Israel financially. So uh, in Israel, and today it's much worse, actually, if you're not um, some part of the tech industry, it's very very hard to uh, to make a living. So uh, for me, as a chef, as much as you know, it was still is my passion. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't sufficient for me, and it was very it it, it was very hard life. So uh, also physically, uh, you know, uh, at some point when when you when you're working in a chef like 10, 12 years, twelve uh, uh, hour shifts, you know, it, it it puts a lot of toll on your knees and your back, and 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 so. I met my wife, and the idea was her. Actually, she told me, "Let's uh, let's move to the United States." And I thought that she was joking. She was twenty four years twenty four years old. I thought she, that she was joking, but it took me about five minutes to realize that no, she's not joking. And I, I, you know, I 
back then I really have read, had trust issues with, with people, but for some reason I believed her, you know, she was serious. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we planned our trip for about a few, for a few months and we made the move. Uh, we started a business here and uh, when we came here, I think that for a good five, six years, we were pretty much in full on immigrant mode. And what I mean by that is uh, you just work nonstop of, on establishing your a financial base, basically, here. Uh, keep, keeping your head down, no social interactions, no friends, no family, no, no nothing, basically. For five, six years, just uh, working on a business and, uh, and starting a life. And, and starting a financial base and after you know time goes by and you kind of you start to allow yourself uh, do other things but you know still today I think that we have this kind of uh, immigrant mentality where you you come to a new place basically with nothing actually we, with debt uh, we owed money and uh, so you come here and you have this state of mind that you have to make it work you just have to it's, there's no other choice. You, you burn your ships at the shore, basically. There's no going back. And uh, it, it's a very powerful state of mind because it, it kind of it increases your chances of making it. I mean, I'm not saying yet you have to be a millionaire or anything like that, but you're making it like that. So, hmm. It's an interesting space, especially like when you think of burn the ships. Some people think like um, in a almost... A, drastically extreme version where they're like, oh, I have to cut off everything, cut off all these relationships and all these things and all that. But the fact that you were like, all right, we're here and we have to make this thing happen because then if you go back, you're literally going backwards. But did you think about it that way of like potentially going back and kind of going backwards in life? Or is it more of a pressure of like, if we're here, we might as well just do the damn thing and do it right? I think it's both. I think it both. I mean, I realized pretty quickly after maybe two months here that going back would be going backwards. I mean, it was pretty clear that the potential of building a better life here is Israel versus going back. And, you know, Israel is not a third world country. It's not like uh, someplace in, in Africa where going back, you know, we're not refugees. We were not in danger or anything like that, you know, but... Uh, still, it was pretty clear that building a good life here is is there's a good chance of doing that, and it would be much better than going back. So, um, so I think that um, I think that my wife kind of she had an the idea of, of coming here, but I was more of the driving force behind staying here. So that how uh, it worked out. And you know that, that is, it's more complicated because I mean you leave your family behind, especially especially when it comes to my wife. There was a big long crisis between us and my wife's family, um, so it was a huge sacrifice. It was a huge sacrifice for both of us, but I think that uh, both of us knew even if we didn't admit it back then to ourselves and to each other. We, we knew deep inside that this is what we should do in order to turn our, our life around, even personally, not just, not just uh, for financial reason. Uh, I mean, both of us are coming from not an easy background in our families and, and, and you know, other inve events. Uh, 
you know, in, in the army service in Israel. So it, it was clear for both of us that it was, it was still is a good move. So, yes. That's interesting stuff, man. So you've hit on a couple things already that I want us to be able to take a kind of a, a look back together and think about that moment, uh, a couple moments, but starting with the one where she had said, hey, let's go to the U.S. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Oh, wait, you're, you're serious. And, and then unpacking those pieces of how the rest of the journey looked to be able to get here because you went from, oh, are you serious? To I've got to do five or six hard years of really working to build this thing. And what did that look like now from the perspective that you have, being able to take the wisdom from it and go, shit, there were times where I mismanaged my mindset or I'm glad I did this specific thing. So can, let's break that down a little bit. You know, I think that that, well, that it would be a little bit of an exaggeration to say that we're young and stupid, so, so we didn't think about what we were doing. But on some level, it is true. We didn't have a plan. We didn't have any plan. So those five, six years that I just mentioned, there was nothing that I thought about back then. I didn't know how long it will take. Uh, I wasn't aware of any of those stages in the process of establishing and building a life here. Maybe it's a good thing. You know, maybe it's a good thing. Uh, it, it would be a huge obstacle if I had those things in my mind back then. We, we were in the state of mind, let's just try it, see what happens. You know, uh, we, had a very, we had a pretty good idea for a business, an art business. We started here um, and we started the business. It went well pretty quickly and um, we just kept going you know it, it's with no no plan just kind of on the go we didn't think so much about what we were doing and maybe it's a good thing so oh yeah i'm sure yeah because if somebody said oh you want to do this well great it's going to be a pain in the ass and then when you get there you're going to have to put five not probably six years into doing hard work and things you don't want to do at that point you'd be like oh i know you were serious about this but no and most people, I think for the most part, most successful entrepreneurs specifically talk about the craziness that had gone through their story. And they've even admitted, like, if somebody told me this is exactly what's going to happen, I don't think I would have signed up for it because it sounds crazy, but you learn so much stuff through it. So looking back at that whole time now, let's even say the six years and a little before you moved, what do you think you got from that wisdom wise that the audience would be able to take from that. Because like I said to you before we even hit record, there are a lot of people that haven't ever gone through that transition from one country to the next. And there are more people that don't have any idea what that would look like to even move from state to state. So kind of working through that for anybody that's thinking about moving and doing that big leap, what sort of advice do you have for that? I think that, you know, looking backwards, I think that that maybe the most important thing is to have a very strong intention in your mind about what you want, what you would like to achieve. And when I say intention, it's just the, 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 the initial spark. You don't have to have a plan. You don't have to know how you're going to achieve whatever, whatever it is you want to achieve, but you have a, to have a very strong intention. And it's, it's, you know, it, it takes a lot of trust and faith, I would say. You need to believe that what you're doing is, is, is the right move and you need to have that type of conviction. Now, I think that the, the problem today in, 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 in the case of many people is that they have too much choice. It's, it's the luxury that is a blessing, but it's also a curse. When you, don't have, when you don't have too many choices, 
there's something relaxing about it. There's something that is kind of even comforting about it because you know, well, I have one choice. I have to do that. There's there's no other way. So there's something very kind of um, you don't have the luxury or the curse of looking, you know, to the sides and so maybe maybe I do that. No, maybe I do that. You just have one path that you have to walk on, no matter what, and you just keep walking on the same path, very focused. And if you do that, I mean, it'll get you somewhere for sure. So it's a good point. I know there are certain people that kind of manufacture that sort of thing. As you're talking about it, what comes to mind is when, um, uh, like I think of Mark Zuckerberg and he's probably the easiest one to point out, uh, where he kind of has an outfit for work where it's basically the shirt and pants that he always wears constantly. I know I've kind of fallen into that where I'm like, look, if I have a black shirt on and maybe shorts, you know, like, I'm totally good and that's about it and it, you remove those thoughts of like i don't want to have to figure out what i'm going to wear every day and there's a lot of people i've talked to since covid where they're like now that i get to work from home there are certain things that i don't have to think about because you don't have to think about the trip to the office you don't have to think about what am i going to wear today did i do laundry it's like i'm going to wear the same basketball shorts and i've got five different shirts that i wear or whatever that looks like so do you, have you found yourself doing more of that where you kind of remove the different options and go, I've got A or B and I'm going to pick A and just and go with it? You know, I try to do that as much as I can. You talk about clothing. So, so I, I see my clothing as, as uniforms. I don't, I don't spend too much time and energy in, in picking my clothes. I, I just, like you said, I work right now. It's like 100% from, from home and Zoom meetings and text and emails. So, uh, you know, that's completely out of the way. Uh, I actually heard an interesting story about uh, President Obama at the time. Maybe it's every president in the United States. They don't choose what they're, you know, what kind of suit that they're wear on a certain day. They don't choose what they're going to eat because they have such a high level of decision fatigue anyway. And crucial decisions, like we're not talking about, like, you know, so... So they're trying to put ev all those trivial daily decisions aside just to create more space for the more important stuff. And I think that that can, can be applied to each and every one of us, uh, even if you're not the president. So Yeah, yeah. Mo most of the people that are listening to this aren't the president. And maybe at some point they have aspirations to be or they're like, I can do better than that guy. Um, but that is an interesting thing to be able to kind of take those decisions out. And especially for all of us as we go throughout our day, this this recording is in the beginning of the year, so most people are thinking now, like, what do I need to change, do differently? By the time this comes out, it's probably going to be April-ish, something like that. So people are well into their year. So as you're now well into your year, what sort of decisions are you pulling back on and making changes to that you go, hey, maybe I don't need to think about that or get as in-depth with that? Because I found that people... And you probably experience this too, especially as a health coach, where they get fascinated almost about this one stupid thing. And you're like, it's not the stupid thing. It's the thing below that. It's the core principle of that thing. So based on everything that you've learned and you've gone through and kind of along the same principle, how does that interact with your business and your clients? Well, you know, I like I said, like you said, I'm a health and wellness coach, and we're recording this in uh, beginning of January. So everybody are in the midst of their New Year's resolution, and uh, and and I don't know if you if you're familiar with the statistics about New Year's resolutions, but they tend to I think that's about like seventy percent of them are completely forgotten by the end of February. 
So, so you'll see this crazy spike in gym memberships the beginning of January. I see it in my gym right now. It's crazy. What's going it's still on? happening. But I know for yeah, I know for sure that in a month, a month and a half, it's gonna go. It's gonna go back to normal. So, what's the problem with it? Why? You know, because people are like you said, they're they're focusing on on the byproduct. They're not focusing on 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 stuff that comes before that on the base, and 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 the base is just acquiring this state of mind of almost acquiring an identity uh, of someone who's trying to achieve better life. In my case, better health, better strength. Um, it's not about your gym membership. It's not about losing 20 pounds. It's not about, you know, lifting more weight at the gym. It's more about the basic um, change that you need to make with yourself and by, you know, applying a different identity. It sounds extreme, but, but that's, that's how uh, people succeed in this field and in anything else in their lives, I think. So go ahead and take that a little further because the identity thing is a very interesting topic. And for people to think, oh, you want me to change my identity? That's everything I am. And I know that's not what you're saying because it's, it's even deeper than that. So unpack that a little bit for us. So I, I think you're familiar with uh, James Clear, uh, the, the guy who wrote uh, Atomic Habits. And he gives a very good example. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. Uh, he says, basically, let's say that someone tries to quit smoking. And uh, so you got two guys. One says he's being offered a cigarette and he says, well, I'm trying to quit. The other guy says, I'm not a smoker. So that's a huge difference. I think, and that can be applied to anything that you do in your life. Health and fitness is very, you know, it very applies to health and fitness too. And when you, when you uh, apply this type of identity, um, you can be consistent with what you're doing. Um, and, and you can be sure that uh, obstacles are going to present themselves on the path and difficulties and things that are going to go against you. But if you apply this identity, if you, uh, you're able to be more consistent and start over every, each and every time. So... Um, so it's really, it's really about applying the identity and changing your state of mind before anything else. And it doesn't matter if it happens at the end of December or mid-April or, or, you know, or July. It doesn't matter. So this is why when it comes to those New Year's resolutions, I, I tend to kind of be, you know, take it with a huge grain of salt. So. I agree. Uh, it, it's almost funny to me when people talk about New Year's resolutions because I'm like, oh, okay, that's where you're at. And other people that talk about the the goals that they have and the incremental growth and what they've done that's transferring over from one year to the next. It just happens to be the start of a brand new year. To me, I, I realize that that person gets it, or at least they're on the path to get it. And bringing up uh, the Atomic Habits, I, I love that story specifically because I was a smoker for a handful of years. And then at one point, it just completely grossed me out. I was like, I'm done. And there was a situation where I tied so much negativity to it that it was no longer a thing. I wasn't a smoker, but that didn't hit me. You know, it made sense to me, but it hit me harder when I read that in the book. I was like, huh, that makes total sense because of the identity. So working with your clients that 
overall health and wellness and kind of getting them to break that? Do you find that a lot of the stuff that you do is really just getting into the actual habits and the reasons behind those habits that ultimately just fix other problems automatically? Absolutely. And, and it, it takes some time to, uh, uh, for people to, to let that information sink in. Because, you know, most people, they come to me because they want to lose fat and they want to get stronger and they want to... So they have very uh, specific pinpoint uh, goals, like I would say above the surface goals. But what I try to teach them that if you want to create a sustainable, long-lasting change, you have to go back and, and first of all, identify the bad habits, where they're coming from, why they're coming from, how long have you been carrying those habits. Um, so there's, there's, it's just a, so what you're coming to me with, you know, those 20 pounds, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So we're talking back, we're talking decades back, um, like how did you grow up? What environment? Uh, what was your dynamics with, with your parents? You know, I'm not a therapist, but there's a, there's a lot of overlapping between what I do and yeah, I dare say therapy. Uh, it just cannot be separated from, from health and fitness. Uh, it's tightly related. Yeah. And I think most everything comes from some sort of childhood experience or childhood trauma. So I, I found myself at times having, uh, having issues eating and just like scarfing down food because I remember being a little kid and thinking, I don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Or being in a house with my brother and sister and being like, I don't know if I'm going to get any more because those two little monsters just keep eating everything. But it's interesting how you go back from that sort of stuff. So with the clients that you're working with, do you, do you find that there are certain times where people are like, I don't want that. I want the quick fix and that's all I want? Or do you find more times than not that most people are, they're willing to do the work, but maybe just a bit begrudging to start? I think that most people get, get it. I mean, most people, even if they come with, you know, that specific quick fix, they, when I start explaining the, the higher goal and I make the connection between their health and fitness and, you know, the higher level of like, what is your life purpose? What is the, what is the meaning of all this? Why do you want to, why do you want to get uh, leaner? Why do you want to get stronger? And you make that connection, people get it. People understand that their health and fitness is not just about, uh, you know, getting six pack and all of it, which is great, by the way. I'm not, I don't have anything. It's a nice byproduct to have. But when I talk to uh, especially men and I say, listen, <clears throat> you want to be there for your family, right? You want to be there for your family as long as you can and with the best quality, not just, you know, in a wheelchair. In, in, so people can live to be 90, but okay, what's their quality of their life? So I talk to them not just about uh, lifespan, but also health span. And, and there, there's a guy by the name of Peter Atia. He's a doctor and his life project, his longevity. Um, so he, he presents a very interesting concept, which is, if you want to kick ass at 80, which I assume all of us want to, you cannot afford to be average at 50. Because there's going to be, there, there is a natural decline in your strength and muscle mass and, and health in general. That's, that is inevitable. So you have to create this buffer, right, between, uh, between that and, and 30 years forward. And so you have to, so, so the message is basically start early. Just start as early as you can. And even if you haven't, start right now. 
right? So um, you just cannot afford to be average. Yeah, that's a that's a tough pill for people to swallow, because I think for the most part, a lot of people don't think of themselves as average, and if they do and they're okay with being average, then you're fighting an uphill battle because they're already like, they're done. They've already given up at that point. Uh, there are a lot of people that even if they talk a good game, they still have a bunch of bullshit that goes on in the head where they talk this negative experience about stuff and it's hard for them to kind of break that stuff down. So I appreciate that you bring that out of your clients almost right off the bat. Like we got to get into this stuff before we get into the the topical layer of the fat like we need to get deep into that so how did you get to that point though because there are other coaches out there that are like i hope you shred and this is exactly what we do but they don't go deeper than that and they might help that person carve out their body but in four five six months they're back to flab city but how do you how did you get to the point where you can actually talk about that what did your journey look like to that well you know i i started a lot and um, by studying, I don't, I, just, I don't just mean academics, like, you know, getting my, my credentials and, and, you know, becoming a nutrition consultant and all of that. Uh, I studied through experience. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be 50 years old next April. So I experienced firsthand all those experiences that men my age are going through. Um, and, man, life is... Life is short, they say, but life on a different level are very long. It's a long journey. And uh, you, just, you just learn on your body and on your mind by exploring your body and your mind, you know, what's going on? You know, why, when I'm going to exercise, when I go to the gym, are the benefits just, just physical? What are, the, what are the benefits on a time span of a week or a month or a year or a decade, Right. So uh, I just learned those things uh, from first-hand experience. And it seems to me that you just cannot separate the, the mental from the social, from the physical, from even the spiritual, right? Uh, it's all a continuum of one thing that all those elements are feeding each other and part of a, of a whole. Um, you just cannot separate those uh, things and if someone you know I, I when I work with men it doesn't doesn't mean that that we cannot work on those quick fix goals we we can do that but if you really want to if you really want to get healthy and strong for the next decades we have to touch on those other elements and levels that you may not expect you know to do uh, to touch on in the process makes sense I mean it seems to me it's almost like putting a bandage on it if you're just looking for the quick fix, you're like, well, here's a bandage, but it's actually a gaping, festering wound that you need to get into and do hard work on. Some people have a hard time with that. Not the audience that listens to this show, so I'm sure they're eating this all up and enjoying it. But are there a couple major moments that you can look back at on your life that are sort of pivotal moments that shaped you to who you are now and some of these core principles that you have? Well, you know, I... I, I was an athlete as a teenager. I was a swimmer. Uh, I was a competitive swimmer. And my father really pushed my brother and me to, uh, to be competitive swimmer. And pretty much my whole, from the age of 9 to the age of 16, I was pretty much spending most of my time in the swimming pool. Uh, I had constant smell of chlorine on my body. <laughs> so, <laughs> and... Uh, 
so I think that when you do something like that at such a young age, there's an imprint of that that will carry you for, carry you for the rest of your life. A pivotal moment was when my father died. My father died when he was 55 of a stroke. So my father was a smoker. He, uh, he was a drinker, wasn't a healthy man. Ironically, he didn't know how to swim, ironically enough. Just crazy, right? But he forced you kids? <laughs> yeah. And we were competitive swimmers. So, so when he died, he died at 55, right, of a stroke. Not a healthy person, not mentally, not physically. And I wasn't in contact with him five years before he died. I was so angry at him uh, that I just, you know, I, I was traveling in South America when my mother uh, notified me about what happened and I didn't come to the funeral. I was so angry. So, uh, so he died at 55. I'm 50 years old. So as you can imagine, that kind of stuck in my mind. I have that side of my family that uh, it's a mystery to me. Probably not the great genes on earth you know, from him. So I, huge part of my decision to go that route of nutrition and health and fitness and wellness in general was because of that. Um, I just make a decision that I'm not going to do the same thing. I'm going to be different. Uh, it's like whatever he was, I decided to be the opposite. So um, huge element of my, in every, everything I do today. Yeah. Well, I want to, get into the the issue that you had with your pop and how there was a lot of anger and frustration there what did that look like and how are you how are you dealing with that now well it looked like my relationship with my father was based on fear basically so my my and my coping mechanism back then was to kind of sneak and to hide as opposed to my brother, who used to be much more confrontational, and he suffered much more because of that. I chose a different way, which was maybe a bit smarter, to minimize the friction between my father. But I don't know if uh, maybe there's an experience as a bro when your brother is is suffering, you're suffering the same way almost. You know, it, it, it all happens in a very small apartment, so it doesn't really matter. So. Um, Today, as a father, uh, that's, again, it's a huge element in my life. I, I can definitely see um, when I'm in the role of a father to my daughter. Sometimes I see my, I see my father kind of rises in me. Kind of, I, see, I can see the same, I can experience the same type of anger. Um, and that, that can be frightening, but that's part of my journey to, uh, to break the cycle. I, I made a decision and my wife did the same. And again, going back to our journey to here is to break the cycle of all the trauma and all the suffering. And we're not going to do the same mistakes with our daughter. And I know that I fail from time to time, for sure. But I think we, we have developed a level of awareness that, that puts, it in, puts us in a much better place than our uh, parents did. And, and a necessary stage of all of this is um, forgive, you know, forgive your parents, understanding that this is where they were in terms of their level of awareness back then. And it took me a long time. It took me a good 20 years to... Uh, to realize that and to go through this process of forgiveness, 
let go of the anger um, to the point where to, today I can I can have good thoughts about my father strangely enough you know but it's it's a great feeling you know it's a great feeling and it's such a necessary part of the process if you really want to uh, make your life better improve your life you have to uh, you have to let go of that um, I think someone said some very smart person that I know said um, you cannot uh, grow from place of a victim it's not gonna work so yeah and with the forgiveness it's not always about the other person or for the other person it can be for you and should be in a lot of cases where you need to be able to forgive and that doesn't allow that person to even enter back into your life if you don't want them to now granted with your father he can't but um or at least physically but anybody else like you can forgive people in life and not be lenient with how they are or what they are and not let them back in and i think to go along with the health and wellness it's not just the forgiveness of that but it's also the forgiveness of yourself I think about when people are like, all right, I'm not going to eat sugar or I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to smoke a cigarette. And then they smoke a cigarette and they just go down that negative hill and then they just compound on that. And it sounds like you've, I like that you hit on breaking the cycle because that seems like a key and core concept here of being able to be aware of it and then doing something about it and acting upon that to actually break the cycle and you're in the middle of literally doing that, not only for your family, but for your clients as well. And in some ways, you needed to go through that chaos and bullshit to be able to be in this spot now. Um, and it's great that you can actually look back and have some at least pleasurable moments that you can think of with your dad because of that forgiveness instead of just seething and being hateful toward it. But have you also forgiven yourself for not going to the funeral and not being there with your family has that been a part of that as well yeah you know i forgive myself about that i let it go i see forgiveness i understand forgiveness today more like of like more like letting go um on a spiritual level i believe that real forgiveness comes only from one place and it's from above uh, it's not up to us but the letting go part is it's so important and um and, and and what you said about breaking the cycle, I just wanna I just wanna make sure that people understand that breaking the cycle is not it's not like a, a quick event that happens one day and you're done. Breaking the cycle is a life project, really. It's a life project. It takes time and it's an ongoing and you're never you're never really there there. Like it never really ends. Uh, getting out of the cycle. It's a, it's an ongoing process that will carry me you know, to the end of my life, I think, but I can safely say that I'm in a much, much better place than I used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's kind of the hope, right? You know, even if from today to tomorrow, you want to be in a better place or maybe differently said, and maybe, you know, in some circles better said, however they want to put it, but not as bad as you were the day before, be it better or not as bad, but it's it's still that growth. And it kind of goes back to the Atomic Habits book in a sense with that incremental growth. That's always been a thing that has really helped me kind of uh, ground myself in a sense to be able to take that incremental growth and go, shit, I've got three or four different lists of things and stuff and all this stuff. And you know what? If they all don't get done, 
the world's not going to end. And if it does, none of this shit matters. It's beautiful. So being okay with those moments and trusting in those moments. So is there anything specifically that you want to get into about that, that you get into with your clients that have helped them to kind of stay in those moments and be present? Yeah, I, you know, I tell my clients that sometimes I'm being asked, not just by my clients, but by just, you know, people I appreciate or friends, like what is the most important thing, the most important advice that you can give to someone who, who tries to make a change for the better in their health and fitness? Like what type of fitness plan, what type of meal plan? You So I say, look, it, it's forget all of that. The most important thing or the most the, the best plan you can have is, is one thing and one thing only. It's the plan that you can be consistent with. That's it. It doesn't matter if you go keto or paleo or vegan or whatever and you do a strength training or, or uh, interval training or yoga. Just, just whatever you can be consistent with. And I say that because people need to realize that when they start this type of journey, they're going to fail. And I say that to all my clients on, on, on the first day. You are going to fail. And it's like, what? Why am I hiring you for it? You're for saying, listen, it's, it's going to happen for sure. 100% that you are going to fail. It's not a question if it's going to happen. It's just a question when it's going to happen. Most likely, it's going to happen sooner than later. Right? And it's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you down. I'm just trying to give you the reality so you can use it as a, just, and now you can relax. You know, just throw all your perfect, per- perfectionism out the window. You can relax. You are, you are going to fail. But the most important thing is that you're going to start over. Every time you're going to fail, you're going to start over. And what I found with, uh, with clients who I've been seeing for enough time is that when you're failing enough times, and you accumulate this experience of failing, it just becomes easier and easier. Okay, I failed again, I start over. Fail again, start over. But I'm consistent, right? I'm consistent with with the process. And it's important to also know that when people fail, they think, oh, I'm starting over from scratch. Now I have to go back to... No, you're not starting from scratch. Whatever you achieved up until that point where you failed is with you. It's yours. You're not losing that. It just goes like that. So it's not linear. I'm doing. It, people may not see what I'm doing in my hand, but the, the process is not linear. It's not linear. You're going two steps forward, one step back. You know, five steps forward, seventeen steps back. Doesn't matter. As long as the trend, as long as the overall trend is progress, as long as the overall trend is going up, and you have to do it enough time to realize that. You cannot, you cannot accumulate that type of experience if you do it only for one month and just, just give up, right? So, so consistency, I would say it's the one thing, right? The one thing is just consistency. Just be on the path. Keep walking on the path. Whatever happens. You, uh, you clearly know the podcast and you've clearly listened to episodes because the last question I always ask is what's that one piece of advice you'd give somebody on their path towards self-mastery and you're like, the one thing, here it is. And that's it's a beautiful thing to be able to point out because it is that consistency and I, I think the takeaway that I get from that is it's about the body of work. It's not the thing that you're doing right now, it's how you piece those things together and how it all relates and yeah, as you get older, even like there are times where I talk to people, I'm 38. Then I talk to people that are 25 
And they're like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. It's like, well, I did because I got punched in the fucking mouth doing it the wrong way. And I had to learn from it. And you go from those things and you're able to look back. But it is the body of work. Is there anything else you want to add to that since you've already answered the question? No, I think no, I think the body of work is a great definition of the, all of this, and it really ties together with uh, to what we said before about identity, because the body of work creates the identity. If you're on the path and you go to the gym for two years, you know, with all the failures, with all the obstacles that happen along the way, if you do it for two, three years, you develop a body of work that your body does, your body and mind do not forget. And you become an athlete. You become that person that goes to the gym. You don't work out. You don't do that for those pounds that you want. You become that person that goes to the gym. And on days that you don't, you feel weird. It's like, I feel weird because it's, it's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. You know, not going to the gym for three days, that feels weird. I feel sick. Something is wrong with me. So, so this is where it becomes automatic. You don't have to push yourself the next time you go to the gym. You're, you're waiting for it. You're anticipating go, go, going to the gym or having a good meal and all of that. So, and that's like where, it, this is where it becomes like you're an autopilot, basically. It doesn't create any, it doesn't require any effort. You're just that person. That's a good point. And I think it also gets back to, uh, that's just, it's part of you at that point. So you don't have to think about what am I going to wear? You know, like it's one of those things you're like, oh, cool. Well, on this days at these times, I go to the gym and I do these certain things. Maybe there's some thought to that. And look, man, you've helped me with that. I know I've, you know, peeled your ear a couple of times. Been like, hey, I've got questions about this, questions about that. And especially with cardio, even a couple of months back where you're like, here's what you should do. Here's how you step that up. And because of the habit that I had of being able to go to the gym and it was already in place, it was easy to be able to go, okay, I can jump into that. But it was difficult. Like I had a failure. I screwed up my leg and was, wasn't able to go back for a couple of weeks. But because that habit was there, it was easier to get back on that bike. And the reason why I bring that up is because we need to just have that habit started. So even for the people that are listening right now that are like, oh, yeah, I get it. But you had that thing. Well, you know, you can start that thing like now. You can start it while listening to this episode. Don't wait for motivation to save you. Yeah. You can turn off all the noise outside and you can just go do the damn thing. At least start doing something. And maybe one of the best things is to pick up that book, the Atomic Habit book. Like we've kind of hinted at and talked about a couple times because it is that incremental growth that consistently makes up the body of work. So Ariel, man, it's always great catching up with you. I appreciate you being on the show. And something that people don't know about you is that this is your first podcast episode. Yeah, <laughs> you did a great job, man. I'm so happy you. that you're here. I love the knowledge and the wisdom that you have and how caring you are, how deeply caring you are. And I appreciate you as a friend. And, uh, and I really appreciate you being on the episode today. Thank you so much, Nick. It's been it's been a pleasure. I really uh, I feel honored that that you invited me. It's been fun, and uh, I hope that you know people can get some some something good you know about what we said. I think uh, there's a need outside. There's a, there's a you know people need to uh, to get those messages. Big time. Well, hey, where can people find you, and where can they connect with you? Uh, my business name is Active Remedy, so people can find me on ActiveRemedy.com activeremedy.com and uh, that's pretty much my my center my hub you know people can connect with me and and get the idea of what i what i do for uh in my practice 
Perfect. And all that's going to be in the show notes. So thank you, everybody, for being on with us today. And Ariel, thank you for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Nick. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So what did you think of the show today? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. Check out the show notes for more info from today's episode and check out other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. Thanks again to our incredible guests for being real, honest, and vulnerable with us today. I'd like to thank our sponsors. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters, and so do you.